God's Word from Romans chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to edify him. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached thee fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome one another, therefore, as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise thee among the Gentiles and sing to thy name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. And further Isaiah says, The root of Jesse shall come. He who rises to rule the Gentiles in him shall the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. In this latter part of the book of Romans we have been studying together about life in the body of Christ and chapter 14 specifically focused upon the individual, his conscience, and his standing before God. How he lived and died unto the Lord, and how one day must give account for himself to Almighty God. This first part of chapter 15 is a concluding part of that whole section, starting with 14.1. And in this, we more specifically come upon the question of how the Christian is to relate within the brotherhood to others. You might say that chapter 15, verses 1 to 13, is love in practice. How is Christian love actually to be worked out in a fellowship or in a family? And for doing this, the Apostle Paul, as he is often wont to do, reaches over into the Old Testament by the leading of the Spirit and brings out many passages here to show us that the principles and truths of the Word of God are not invented new or by himself, but are eternal principles found in the very foundation of the Word of God, the Old Covenant. In this great passage, one thing stands out, and it's found right there in the first three verses. And that is that the supreme law of Christian community is the willingness to please others rather than pleasing oneself. And that might be called the heart or the key 
to this passage, Romans 15, 1 to 13. Now let's take a few moments and see how this key unlocks all of the closed doors of relationships within Christian homes and in churches. There are walls and barriers built up between people, and God's work is restrained and confined by bitterness and resentment and the failure to confer together. The lack of Christian energy comes from the fact that the people of God don't desire to be and speak together and to pray together about his work. And so revival, renewal, awakening among the people of God does not take place. We need a key to open the locked doors of estrangement that hold us out one from another. And here is the blessed key. Let's take the key in terms of four R's. We usually think of the three R's, but God goes us one better. The four R's of relationships. And it's the first one that's there very clearly spelled out, is it not? The renunciation that is required. We who are strong ought to bear with the feelings of the weak and not to please ourselves. There's the renunciation of self-pleasing. What does it mean to please yourself? To please yourself means to use your own efforts for your own satisfaction. And pleasing yourself is always dangerous and sometimes very wrong. To please yourself can be defined as the flesh. It's the fleshly part of us that wants to satisfy and gratify our own ego, our pride, our flesh, our comfort. We ought not to please ourselves. Now this pleasing of the self is a very subtle thing. It masquerades behind disguises. And some of those disguises are very pious. We might stand for some great Christian principle on which we will stand or fall. But behind the mask is the desire to please ourselves. And that's wicked. We ought not to please ourselves, says the Scripture. And there's the renunciation that is the first key to the unlocking of broken relationships in the home and the church. Are you pleasing yourself? Are you here for what you can derive? Are you living in your home for your own satisfactions? The whole word of the scripture is to mortify the flesh. We ought not to please ourselves. And the point of the passage is that the stronger we are, the more the obligation devolves upon us. We that are strong ought to bear the infirmities and failings of the weak. In every Christian congregation or home, 
There are all levels of spiritual maturity, and some are weak, and some are strong. And if tonight you sense yourself in any degree of strength whatsoever in the Christian family, the call of God is to you to renounce self-pleasing so that you are able to bear with the weaknesses and infirmities of the rest of the Christian family. But alas, so often it is the more mature and the stronger and the more knowledgeable ones who are set about the task of pleasing themselves. But you see, the very reason why you are strong is not your own doing. You are strong in order to be able to assist others. That is the reason for your strength. And the only reason why you have any superiority in growth to others, that you might be used of God to reach down and comfort and bear with and share in their problems. And so the Lord Jesus said on this matter of renouncing self-pleasing, Whosoever does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The essence of the kingdom of heaven is the renunciation of self. And the younger you are here tonight, the sooner you can learn this lesson. And the earlier you grasp it, the more fruitful and satisfying and effective your life will be. I know that my young friends here want to succeed in kingdom things. You want your life to count for God. And the place to begin is in the renunciation that is required not to please yourself. Look then at another aspect of this key, and that is also that we are to please others. And here there is a response that is requested. We are to not to please ourselves, but let each of us please his neighbor for his good to edify him. How beautiful that is. In the King James, it says, we ought to please our neighbors. And that word is a better translation, we ought. You know the word ought is simply we owe it. It is ought is a contraction for we owe it. In other words, the Christian is under a profound obligation, a debt to render to every other Christian the pleasing of that brother or sister, to comply with their requests, if it is in accordance with the word of God and for their good. So we don't have any choice in this matter. Now the pleasing of men in order to curry their favor is not biblical or Christian. Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, Am I pleasing others? If I were, I would no longer be a servant of God. But he had a proper place for the pleasing of others. He said in 1 Corinthians 9, I have become all things to all men, 
There is a place for the pleasing of others and a place for not pleasing them. And here it is. We ought to please one another for their good. Not for our good. Not in order to ingratiate ourselves or to have some of their substance or their popularity or their favor, but for their good. And so whenever you are faced with the question of whether to please another person in the body of Christ or in your home, look to God and ask him whether this is for his good. Does it lift him up in spirit? If it does, I will do it. I am under obligation to do it. I am a debtor to him. A profound debtor. To edify him. Now this doesn't mean that the whim of every person is, is to be answered and we're to please every person as to every little desire of his heart. That wouldn't be for his good. That would spoil him. And I suppose there's no severer test of Christian character than this one, having to bear with the childishness of Christian people sometimes because they have been spoiled and catered to in every whim. Or if a person desires something that is going to lead to his own ruin, then you are called upon to reject that thing and to say to him with all the courage and tact you can do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I beg you not to ask this thing of me and not to do it. It will lead to your destruction. But if after looking to God, we know that to deny ourselves and to please one another is for their good and their edifying and their building, then there is the response and the resolve we are to make. Here then is the beginning outline of the key that unlocks the doors of broken Christian relationships. The renunciation of the pleasing of myself and the resolve that under God, whenever it is for good, I will please others. Oh, what a resolve that is. Oh, what freedom and joy it brings to human life. How good of God now to annex with this some of the resources we can use because right about now I imagine you're saying with me, who is sufficient for these things? How can I do it? It would be supernatural for me to stop pleasing myself and start pleasing my mate, my elders, my Sunday school teacher, my friend who's alienated from me, that would be out of character. But God gives us three great sources of help, and they're all here. He says, for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those reproached thee, fell on me. The Lord Jesus Christ is the great example of giving up himself and pleasing others. 
He made himself of no reputation. He came as a servant to Jews in order that through them he might win also the Gentiles. He cared not for his own home or clothing or food or reputation, but he was so utterly seized with the passion for the kingdom of God and the interests of those he came to serve that he burned within, consumed with desire for the work of God, utterly absorbed in the interests of those whom he loved. Christ pleased not himself. I suppose the epitome of it all is the wrestling that took place in the night before his crucifixion when under the gnarled olive trees of the hillside of Gethsemane he wrestled it out in prayer. Everything within his sacred soul drew away from the thought of bearing our sin even to contract it at all was hideous to him. And he wrestled over the question, could this cup of human sin be taken from me? Shall I please myself? Or shall I win entrance for a host of men and women to the kingdom of my Father? Which shall it be? He renounced himself and resolved to serve the interests of others. Not my will, but thine be done. O oh Lord. And there's the example of Christ. Not to taunt you. Because every time in the word of God that his example is mentioned, his glorious redeeming role is affixed to it. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, for example, when we're told to walk in his steps, immediately we're, we are told that he brought us to God. He not only gives us a glorious example, but the inner enabling power to do the things that he did and does. And the second resource is the word of God. Here it is. It says, whatever was written was written for our instruction. And whenever you're baffled, you are to turn to the Bible and find grace and help there. There's not a thing written in Holy Scripture that is not there for your help. And to pass over any aspect of the Scripture as if it has no bearing upon your life is an insult to the Holy Spirit who authored that book. For example, take that great word, you might be perplexed, shall I please myself or shall I please another in this matter? And you open and you find these words, look not every man to his own interests, but every man also to the interests of others. How the word of God is such a rich resource, a book of instruction, of help. And the third great supply of, of power is prayer. Whatever a Christian grapples with the place of his own pleasing and the pleasing of others, it can be resolved in prayer. As you walk or kneel 
or as you meditate in your room prayerfully for the answer, God will put you in touch with the fountain of his power and will begin to show you how to resolve that difficult thing. Friend, you're not alone. If you want to lead the life of the pleasing of others rather than yourself, all these great sources of strength are there. The example of Christ, the blessed scripture, and the privilege of the place of quiet prayer. And as if these resources were not enough, then God holds out for us the rewards by which we will know whether or not we are unlocking these doors of relationships. He gives us three rewards. And this is the way we can test. The first is that there will be harmony in our relationships because he says, may the God of steadfastness in verse 5 and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. And there's the reward of deferring to the pleasing of others. A blessed unity comes about in the family of God. And it's not a unity that is achieved simply on a human level, like we're all good friends together. But it is always in accord with Jesus Christ. Principle is not sacrifice. Truth is not run over. But Christ is preeminent, and we meet in him. Now, it doesn't mean that we are going to be uniform in belief or practice in order to have harmony. God has a wondrous variety of nature. Not all flowers are the same. And there's a great variety in the world of grace. Different gifts, different perspectives, different emphases, different lessons drawn from Scripture. And that's what makes harmony rather than monotone. God brings together various perspectives and out of them creates the symphony of the church. One note alone would not do justice to the great majestic chords and themes of his great oratorios. Not at all. It takes the flute and the bass, the violin and the drum and the cello, each in his own time and with his own gift to make the harmony that is in accord with Christ Jesus. Now, dissension, arrogance, pride, these break down the work of God. These erect barriers between us. But where we are renouncing self and resolving to please others, then there is joy and peace and the body of Christ is built up. And this is the blessed cycle of heaven that the more we renounce ourselves, the more joy and peace there is. And the more joy and peace there is, the more we live above bitterness and controversy. And that's 
the way to test whether we are growing in the deferring to others. Is there harmony within the body? Is there a growing joy and peace in the fellowship? That's the reward, which is also the test. And the second reward is that we would be useful to God, in verse 6, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Even our harmony is not an end in itself. That harmony is to work to the glory of God. When Christ welcomed us into the fellowship, he did it for God's glory. And when we welcome each other, we're to do that for the glory of God. When Christ ministered to the Jews to show God's faithfulness and to the Gentiles to show God's mercy, he did both of these, bringing them into one body, not simply so there could be human togetherness, but so that God might be glorified, that all things may be in him. And so when a fellowship transcends differences and builds unity and harmony out of diversity, God is glorified in the process. And the way we do it is by renouncing ourselves and resolving to please one another. And so we can test, are we glorifying God? And the last reward he gives is that you will be built up and abound in hope. Verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Our God is a God of hope. He generates hope in us. He wants to see hope in us. And hope comes to the Christian's heart who is actually seeing the Christian life work. And so if you're renouncing yourself and preferring others and building up the body and seeing harmony, all this encourages your hope, and your hope begins to abound. Is there hope in your heart? That's a sign that you're following the ways of God. He wants you to abound in hope. God's people have always been a people of hope. Hope is the invincible certitude that God has a plan for me and for all men and will surely bring it to conclusion. Hope is refusing to be ashamed of the one in whom I trust. Hope is being radiant with the fact that God is in charge and his purposes will not fail. But it's amazing how your hope can be eclipsed if you're living to please yourself, living in contention and controversy and dissension rather than in the harmony of the people of God. God wants you to abound in hope. Friends, this isn't just a little scholastic exercise, a nice way to bring the book of Romans to a kind of pious conclusion. This is truth for living. These words have to be applied to be believed. They have to be tested. 
in the crucible of your own family and in these pews, in these committee rooms, wherever the work of God is going on, these truths are for living. And I call on you with all I am to apply them wherever you are, in your kitchen, in your car, at your office desk, in the corridors of this church, not to please yourself, but to please one another to his edifying and for his good. And you will glorify God and you will be filled and abound with hope. And so will we all. Let us pray. O oh Lord, we confess that the sin that still dwells within us seeks the pleasing of ourselves. We would lift up ourselves, our own opinions and ways, and want them to be preeminent over others. O oh God, we see the wickedness of our hearts, and we confess. We pray for more and more cleansing of the disunion that comes from selfishness in our fellowship, in our homes, and in our hearts. Bless, O oh Lord, this fellowship, these hearts, as today we renounce the pleasing of self and resolve with the help of God and under the example of Christ to please one another unto their good. Through Jesus our Lord we pray. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be honor and glory, dominion and power, now and forevermore.